1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll be reading from the NIV. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Grab your seats. Let me pray for us. Grab your notepads, write questions. If we don't have questions at the end, then then we'll just worship and sing to Jesus, and we'll call it a wrap. But I really do, I really do want to encourage you guys. Take the next couple weeks, and let's just pretend like we're sitting in a seminary class. And you guys will love this. You're going to learn so much. I'm learning a lot revisiting these topics, especially revisiting these texts in this current moment that we find ourselves in. Everybody game? Cool. Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we need not labor in our own strength. Thank you that every person you call, you gift. Every person's presence matters in community, with each other, in our workplaces. And apart from you, we can do nothing. We can't even be Christian. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not Christ, St. Paul would say. And so we here, by faith, embrace the objective gift of the Holy Spirit, and we here yearn in our being for the subjective experience of the Spirit, the comfort, the conviction the empowerment, the boldness, the multiplication. And as a fellowship of followers of Jesus, really as a newly forming community of faith here in the city of San Diego as a church plant, our particular flavor of being the church, this contemplative and charismatic expression of the church, align us on the same page, give us insight and understanding and wisdom. Lord, may you raise the questions that possibly can be answered from the texts in the way that you are directing us to be your people in this season as this community in this city. We trust you. Speak to each one of us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we're in our fall value series. We've already covered simplicity and stillness, and now we are deep diving our third value, the Holy Spirit. I really do want to encourage you guys. The podcast is up every week. If we have technical difficulties on Sunday morning, we actually re-record these teachings to make sure that you can stay in line and on track with what's going on here. 
they build on each other. So you're missing pieces of this entire session if you don't have the first session. So please go back and listen. Take time on your commutes or while you're doing dishes or whatever. Last week we established, we did a biblical theology tracing Genesis to Revelation. And we learned that God the Holy Spirit is the God who dwells and orders. Dwells and orders. The God who brings order to the chaos and dwells in the midst of his people. Today, we want to look at how the Holy Spirit is the God who gifts and animates. He gifts us and he animates us. Now, Christian theology teaches that God is omnipresent. Can you all say omnipresent? Omnipresent. You sound like theologians. Omnipresent is just a big word that means God is everywhere at all times. There is nowhere where God is not. The Holy Spirit is present everywhere at all times, but he also manifests in unique ways throughout the biblical narrative and throughout human history. Think of air. Air is everywhere all the time. Right now, you and I are breathing air. And more often than not, we are not conscious of the air around us, touching our skin, filling our lungs. At other times, though, we become very aware of the air. Wind is nothing more than the movement of air from one place to another. Sometimes it's comforting, a soft, cool breeze on a sunny afternoon. Sometimes when it's very concentrated, it can become not comforting, but downright dangerous. Take, for example, the concentrated and violent movement of air in Hurricane Ian that just ripped through Florida over these past few weeks. Think with me of pneumatic tools, all you mechanics in the house. Pneumatic tools. Who of you have heard of pneumatic tools just by a show of hands? Just a couple of yous? A couple of yous? <laughs> a couple of you? Pneumatic tools? Pneumatic tools are tools that use compressed air to do the work. So, for example, there are pneumatic jackhammers. A jackhammer can literally crack through concrete. And you know the power source behind that jackhammer? Compressed air moving the mechanism of the hammer. That's incredible to me. So this should be a helpful image when we begin to think about the Holy Spirit. Air is everywhere, often unnoticed, but sometimes air can be very concentrated and very compressed, and it can become very powerful and very, very noticed in our midst. Everybody tracking with that? Okay, very good. So Paul in the book of Corinthians, what he's doing here is he's addressing a very lively church. You might say that the Corinthian church had a hurricane sweeping through it. They were being moved. Things were being noticed as the Holy Spirit was doing things in the midst of the community. And it was raising a lot of conflict in the community. There was selfishness. There was self-aggrandizement. There was misuse of the gifts. And there was a lot of questions. And so the Corinthian church had written to their spiritual father, Paul, saying, hey, how do we understand these things that are happening as this hurricane blows through our church? Paul opens, as we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this topic of the Holy Spirit's manifestations, his movement, saying, now concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That word gift is the word pneumatikos. Can you all say pneumatikos? Pneumatikos. You just learned a new Greek word. Pneumatikos is built from the Greek word pneuma, which is Paul's word for spirit. It's where we get our word pneumatic. Pneumatic tools, literally translated, are tools being moved, animated by the spirit. Isn't that an interesting concept? So I coined a term a number of years ago, like 15 years ago, doing a teaching through this particular set of chapters where I tried to just summarize what Paul is doing, the big idea of what's happening in these chapters. New manimation, new, anim new, new manimation, new manimation. It's very hard to say. New manimation. 
Numanimation is the process whereby the Holy Spirit, while present at all times and in all places, he will manifest himself in and through his people in more pronounced and powerful ways to animate his work in the world in more pronounced and powerful ways. The Holy Spirit animation, when he moves this way, it's for the common good of the people and the healing of the world. And this new animation, this animating power of the Holy Spirit, it is experienced, practiced, and ordered in the church and in the world, but it's practiced in submission to Jesus as Lord of all. So Paul was saying to the Corinthians, concerning these pneumaticos, these gifts, these very noticeable manifestations of the Holy Spirit, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, I don't want you to be uninformed. The church in Corinth was like a pile of pneumatic tools of all sorts of different kinds going off at one time. I like to call the Corinthian church like a frat party of a church. They were actually pretty wild, and they were doing some really wild stuff. Some of those tools, those pneumatic tools, the people within the community, they were operating rightly and doing their job well. Others, not so much. They were uninformed. And so Paul, in our passage over the next two weeks, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, he's doing about three different things. Number one, he's wanting to encourage them. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. Paul wants all of God's people, all of God's people, every single one of them, to receive and walk in gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's not a single one of us that God does not intend to move through, to move in, to move upon, and to use as one of his tools for furthering the kingdom of God in this world. Second, Paul wanted those gifts to be operated in according to God's will in submission to Jesus. He wanted order in the church, and he wanted these gifts, these gifts to be used rightly. And third, Paul wanted them to be informed about what were truly works of the Holy Spirit and what were activities that maybe not so much were works of the Spirit, but maybe works of the flesh, or maybe works of something even more nefarious, something more malevolent, something more evil behind the scenes, how Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian church. Can we discern this is a gift, a work, an animation of the Spirit, and this is a work, this is an action, this is a behavior not moved by the Holy Spirit? And Paul says, the defining mark, the test to tell when someone is operating in the gifting or under the power of the Holy Spirit is it results in that person and the community experiencing that gift submitting and declaring Jesus is Lord. This is the fundamental test for the works of the Spirit. It results in the person or the people of God or the people being exposed to that gift declaring Jesus is Lord. Verses two through three. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. For Paul, in any given community and in any given person, if and when the Holy Spirit was the one animating the work being done, the gifting being given, then what would result is that person and the people would declare, Jesus is Lord, he is ruler, he is king of all. Big, broad spiritual theology here for just a moment. Track with this. Paul recognized, along with Jesus, that there are many spirits at work behind the scenes in every bit of human behavior, and much of that spiritual influence is actually evil. 
The Bible is unapologetic when it talks about demonic spirits that are at work behind human activities. Remember, for us as Christians, the space between heaven and earth, the space between spiritual and physical, it's much thinner than we moderns would like to think of it. Creation itself is porous. Spiritual influence, spiritual forces are influencing physical creatures and vice versa. What we do in the physical is influencing the spiritual realm around us. Here's what Paul said to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. You were dead, he's speaking to the church, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That is a, that, that's code, that's shorthand for the chaos creator as we talked about. You were dead and you followed the ways of the world and the world is following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, this satanic, dark, malevolent, nefarious, whatever adjective you want to put to this thing this wickedness, rules the world. And the spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. The Bible, again, is unapologetic, and it's pretty bold in its declaration that the world around us and the people of the world, including you and I prior to Christ, are influenced by a spirit whose end goal is to curse Jesus. So what we see is throughout human history from the fall, Various philosophies, certain political agendas, particular cultural trends, many spiritual practices, all false beliefs, these all have real and dangerous power behind them. Now, I personally over the years have begun to found Paul, I've begun to find Paul's teachings on the nature of demonic spirits behind human behavior. I've actually found it very illuminating. And this is why. When we look at the atrocities of war and murder and sexual abuse, a real and destructive spirit influencing those acts, it, for me, it helps me make some sense of some of the most horrific things we see in the human experience. Now, I realize for some of us how silly that might sound, especially if you're just considering Christianity brought here with a friend, investigating what this church thing might be. The idea of blaming Satan for the wrongs and the wounds of this world, that can be childish in your mind, maybe uninformed, not scientific, we moderns, we don't have a category for the devil made me do it type language. But the authors of the New Testament, they understood something. They understood that while we could certainly not say the devil made me do it, therefore I'm not responsible for my choices and what's happening in the world, we certainly could account in the pie chart the devil had something to do with this behavior. The devil was behind the scenes in this particular instance. And so a very real Satan helps make some sense of the Holocaust and things like school shootings. It, it, it helps us understand how nuclear warfare can come about between humans. There is some evil force governing all of this. But the New Testament also, it is also even more bold. There is some evil force behind our little white lies and our exaggerations, friends our impatient outbursts, our points of lust, our pride, our greed, and our covetousness are as fueled by this nefarious character as is the Holocaust. This is the contrast and the intensity of the New Testament teaching around this spiritual force behind the scenes, this ruler of the prince, the power of the air. And so in contrast to this chaotic creator of 
pain in this world. Paul says, when the Holy Spirit comes into a person and upon a community, animating that community, then Jesus is declared Lord. The chaos crusher comes and crushes the chaos creator. Not instantly, but over the duration of our lives. And so Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. All right. Big breath. Is everybody tracking with me? Did everybody just track with that piece? All right, let's keep moving through this. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Do not misunderstand Paul here. Paul is not saying that just because someone says Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is their Lord and that they are being moved by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said that there would be those who call him Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Lord, Lord, didn't we go to church every Sunday? Lord, Lord, didn't we have a Bible on our bookshelf? Lord, Lord, didn't we fast, pray, do all the things that you told us to do? Lord, Lord, weren't we doing these things? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. There will be those who declare Jesus is Lord, but in their hearts have not truly submitted to him as saving king of all. It's honestly one of the most terrifying things Jesus said in all of the gospels. Because where the Spirit animates a person, Jesus is declared Lord, meaning that means that Jesus' ways are submitted to, his teachings are received and obeyed, because the entirety of our existence is submitting to him as Lord and King and ruler of absolutely everything, of our hearts, of our belief, and our behaviors. The declaration, Jesus is Lord, animated by the Spirit, is a reflection of the whole life submitted to Jesus as Lord. And so, in these coming weeks and through the life of our church, as we dig into the gifts, this is the definitive marker for our community. Is this gift that I'm exploring in my own personal life, is it bringing me into deeper submission to Jesus as Lord? How is this gift being used in obedient submission to Jesus as Lord? How is this gift being used in my community, in my workplace, in my classroom to bring others under the total rule of Jesus, not just with their words, but with their whole existence? Everybody tracking with those two pieces? Big bad Satan behind the scenes, Holy Spirit animating. Everybody says Jesus is Lord. Amen. We move on to the gifts ourselves. Be writing down questions. I'm going to keep talking pretty quickly. The gifts themselves. There is really a long-standing debate within Christian history arguing whether the gifts, the pneumaticos, are these just natural abilities that we're born with and then the Holy Spirit kind of comes along and super empowers them, enhances them, or just appropriates them for his own use? Or are these supernatural gifts that are given to us outside of our natural abilities? Scholars argue whether the gifts are available to all or all the time or only certain gifts are only given to certain individuals some of the time? And I think the reason that the debates have been so long-standing in church history is because Paul actually allows all of those categories and more. Paul uses three different words here in 1 Corinthians 12 to describe the various ways that the Holy Spirit will animate his people. Gifts, services, and workings. Gifts, services, and workings. Very broadly now, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Gifts broadly are any ability that you may have right now that the Spirit can basically pick up, magnify, and repurpose for his use in, use in the world. Or those gifts may be something that God gives to you supernaturally outside of any of your own personal talents. These gifts are any ability that is used at any ministry in the church or any place in the world as the Spirit is moving. And they can range from the supernatural miracles of healing and prophecy, more on that later, to very natural 
gifts, administration, which I do not have, serving, giving, all these things, all these spirit-empowered abilities carry forward the mission of Jesus. Verse 5, gifts, services. He says there are different kinds of services, but the same Lord. Very broadly, we interpret or we define services as the roles or the offices where Christians are called and identified to serve the church. So elders, pastoral team, paid and unpaid team members, community leaders, church planters, uh, setting up chairs, serving at kids, all of these things are roles that the Holy Spirit animates. You have a desire, you hear the call, and you have a desire, and you step into it. Those are spirit-empowered roles or acts of service. And then verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them, everyone is, it is, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And so these workings, these activities are broadly what my mentor, Dr. Bashir's, calls just the Holy Spirit stuff. Just Holy Spirit stuff. This, this idea of workings, it's kind of a junk drawer term that captures anything and everything that the Spirit may be doing in a person or in a community to bring Jesus' Lordship more fully into the world. Okay. We've got it. Everybody with me. We've got Satan behind the scenes. We've got the Spirit animating, bringing everybody into submission. We have broad categories, gifting, services, works. Okay. Given these broad frameworks at Neighbors, we believe that there are gifts given to every single one of us. There are gifts that God is wanting to give to us. We believe that there are roles and responsibilities that some of you are being called to. Some of you are being called to children's ministry. Some of you are being called to go out on the mission field. Uh, as we'll see on October 30th, some of us are being called to go out and plant churches. Some of us are being called to serve in the community. These gifts are all being given in places of role and responsibility. We also believe that there are manifestations of the Spirit that can come and go upon anyone at any time for various reasons and for various purposes all culminating in the common good and Jesus ruling as Lord. So here's a, here's a made-up example, and you guys can talk more about this in your communities. Let's say that we have a person who is obviously in love with numbers from the time they were a little kid. They look at an Excel spreadsheet, and they just break out in smiles. How? I don't know, but they do. They love Excel spreadsheets. So this idea of organization, administration, numbers, it's a natural desire. This person enjoys it, and they're super good at it. You, we would call that, we would call that within the Christian community a gifting, a gifting that the Spirit wants to use, that He's given to you. Now, that gifting lands you a great job, and in that workplace, you become known for your efficiency and your abilities in this administrative space. The Spirit is using you there, appropriating your gifts in the workplace to honor Jesus and bring good to the world. Now, goes a step further. Let's say that you're so gifted in this area that your bosses are watching you and you begin to get promotions and you find yourself in a place of senior leadership. You're not necessarily gifted as a leader. You're not necessarily gifted with wisdom and boldness, but you step into this role that God the Holy Spirit is appointing you to in the workplace and suddenly you find yourself in a meeting having these thoughts that you'd never had before where you're like, that was very wise. Or you find yourself in a management position where you're able to exert confident boldness and compassionate boldness towards those that you're managing. It's not that you had those gifts naturally. It's that the Holy Spirit and the role he's called you to is manifesting those things. And it goes further. 
Let's say one night you're sitting at a community group, long day at work is over, you've been bold and wise as the Holy Spirit's been manifesting through you and two others in the world, and now you're with your church community, and one of them says, I've been suffering from migraines over the past days, I've kind of got the start of one right now, and you just suddenly out of nowhere, though you've never seen anybody healed, you know you don't have the gift of healing, you're like, can I just pray for you? You lay hands on them, you pray for them, and they open up their eyes, tears coming from their face saying, it's gone, I'm healed, hallelujah, to which you say, amazing, I'm a gifted healer. But a month later, another person in your community group comes and says, oh, I have this sore shoulder. And you stand up confidently. The Holy Spirit has prayed or has healed through me. And you lay hands on their shoulder and you pray for them. And they go to raise their arm. Oh, it still hurts. Here's what's happening. There's a baseline primary gifting, administration, Excel spreadsheets, and then there's this innumerable list of possibilities that come in this person's life. Boldness, wisdom, leadership gifts as they manage. Sometimes an occasional gift of healing when they lay hands on one person, but a month later, the Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom, who is active and dynamic, has decided not to heal this one in that moment through you for whatever reason we could never fathom in our little finite minds. Did everybody track with that example? Each one of you represent an infinite level of complexity of how the Holy Spirit will move in you through your primary giftings, personalities, and abilities, and what he might do in you coming upon you and through you in any given moment at any given time for the good of the world to submit all to Jesus as Lord. In it all, Paul wants us to remember through this complexity, this dynamic diversity, that it's one God the Father, one God the Son, one God the Holy Spirit manifesting his will in the world through us. Next section. Everybody got it? Writing down questions, hopefully thinking of questions. Okay. There are four passages in the New Testament. Just a little bit longer here. There are four passages in the New Testament that give lists of the gifts. I'm going to have you guys read through these passages when you get into your community groups this week. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and 1 Corinthians 12. We're not going to spend any time in the Romans passage or the Ephesians passage or the 1 Peter 4 passage. We're going to spend all of our time in 1 Corinthians 12. There are distinctives within each of these lists, but there's also quite a bit of overlap. And most scholars agree that these lists of gifts, they're not exhaustive, they're exemplary. They're just examples of ways in which God the Holy Spirit will gift primarily or gift momentarily in the body of Christ. They are examples of the diverse ways and works that the one God wants to bring about through his many people. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 itself covers a pretty broad range of gifts from what we would consider natural and normal, administration, leadership, a little bit less natural, wisdom, that's a little bit abstract, and then the downright intense and not normal, gifts of tongues, prophesying, what are discernment of spirits, what are these things? So all we're going to do here is spend about 10 minutes surveying the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and giving a very broad definition, very broad definition. Words of wisdom and knowledge. The gifts of words of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says in verse 8, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. When we think about the gift of wisdom, wisdom in the Old Testament begins with fear of the Lord. One who's exhibiting wisdom fears the Lord. Wisdom was present as cre at creation. Wisdom corrects fools. Wisdom results in long life and wealth and flourishing. And so when the Holy Spirit is manifesting or gives somebody wisdom, either as their baseline or momentarily, 
They are able to, the way I define this is they are able to effectively and efficiently see how and what God wants to do in a moment to accomplish his will in the world. Let me say that again. The gift of wisdom enables somebody to see how or in what way to accomplish God's will in the world in any given situation. So the premier example, of course, is King Solomon in the book of Kings. Two women come to King Solomon. They have a dead baby and a living baby. And these two women are fighting over whose baby, who, who is the mother of the living baby. And so Solomon brings them in front of him, and he exhibits wisdom by saying, hey, I've got an idea to figure out whose baby is the, is the, whose mother is the living baby's. Let's just take the living baby and cut it in half. It's quite a graphic story. The Old Testament gets gnarly sometimes. And so, of course, the, the, the mother of the baby, the living baby, literally is like, don't, no, that's my baby. Don't give my living baby to the other woman. And the woman whose baby was actually dead is like, yeah, you know what? Go ahead. I don't care. Cut the baby in half. It, it, it's a gnarly, gnarly story. But it's the premier example of wisdom. Solomon is able to exert God's will in the world, define what is right and wrong, make a discernment and decide who is the actual right mother of the living baby, and then exercises a practice in such a way as to make it very clear. That is the gift of wisdom. That's the manifestation of wisdom. And it exerts itself in many different ways in Christian community over and over and over and in the world. Now, the gift of knowledge, it seems similar to the gift of wisdom because it involves words and guiding. The gift of knowledge is probably twofold. So the gift of knowledge can be what we consider spirit-empowered ability to research and remember and make effective use of information, especially in teaching situations. So spirit-empowered teachers, they're able to pull together these like incredible collections of different ideas, different philosophies, different theories, different connections in scripture. They're able to research the culture. They're able to read and remember tremendous amounts of information. And they're able to then clearly put that together and reason through the arguments in such a way that it makes sense to the people to whom that knowledge is being given. And they all say, Jesus is Lord when that gift is being used. So one of my former profs, Tim Mackey at the Bible Project, he's one of these guys for sure. He absolutely blows my mind all the time. He's probably one of the most influential Bible teachers on the planet right now because Tim is able to take these ridiculous swaths of research and Hebrew scholarship and cultural trends in progressive Portland and reduce it down to these little five-minute explainer videos that you watch a five-minute video and he takes 15 years of research and scholarship and you're just like, Boom, that totally makes sense. That's the gift of knowledge. It's incredible. When you've been around people that have the gift of knowledge, you'll often find yourself saying, how do they remember all that? Where do they get that from? How, did they, how are they able to cue up that quote from that obscure person from way back then? Where did that even, and how do they know about that? It's the Spirit. It's a gift. It's something that the Spirit does for the well-being of the church. And the result is, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, there's a second one here, and a, in a, it's a little bit nuanced, the word of knowledge, where it's literally a spontaneous, given piece of information that could not have been known apart from the Holy Spirit. This is, I know something. We see Jesus manifesting this gift with the woman at the well. He approaches this woman at the well, and we're told that Jesus, by the Spirit, is talking to her about her love life, her marriages, and he asks her questions about that, 
And she says, I'm not married right now. And he, he basically says, you're right. You have no husband. You've been married five times, and the man you now live with is not your husband. That's a word of knowledge. That's a spirit-given piece of information. It also fits well into that prophetic space that we'll explore much more next week. We experience words of knowledge within our communities, especially during times of listening prayer. We're going to do more teaching extensively on what that actual practice is and how it works. But you might be surprised sometimes when you look at somebody and you have a sense, hmm, I just, I wonder about this or that. If you would risk and step into and say, may I ask you something about this? Or may I say something about this? You might put somebody into a puddle of tears saying, Jesus is Lord. Next, the gift of faith, the gift of faith. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay, fire hose, just. Okay, gift of faith. Verse nine, to another faith by the same spirit. So there's this gift of faith by the spirit. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are exercising faith in the finished work of Jesus. You are trusting that Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection has made a way for you to be within the Trinitarian framework of love. You are blood-bought, forgiven, adopted. All those things are objective truths. But then there are people like my wife, who I believe have a genuine gift of faith. This is what we see. People that have the gift of faith, it is literally like a supernatural ability to just simply not doubt, to not question. There is like this level of trust in God and the scriptures, no matter what is happening in the external circumstances of the world. And it is absolutely incredible. And I will say it's maybe one of the more important gifts for this generation of the church. And this is why. People with the gift of faith actually serve as comforters and correctors to the body of Christ, reminding us that we are not going to be able to figure out the universe with our tiny little brains. In this moment that we find ourselves in as a church where cynicism and loss of faith are the expected norm, you're actually questioned if you're not questioning your faith. Those with the gift of faith come alongside as pastoral and prophetic shepherds saying, there is a way to believe. There is a way to let go. There is a way to be childlike. And we are brought to a place where we say, through your gift of faith, I submit to Jesus as Lord. I can't tell you over these 21 years of being married to her how many times I have been in the depths of deconstruction and despair and doubt and overwhelm. And her gift will come and comfort and convict my soul where I walk away saying, yeah, you know what? Jesus is Lord. Now, some scholars believe about this faith that it's actually a specific type of faith that believes and believes in such a way that it receives things that are supernatural and considered impossible. So the gift of faith sits as a title or a chapter heading for these next big supernatural ones. And this is where we start getting into the, the fun world of healing and miracles and discernment of spirits and prophecies and, and tongues and all of this stuff. Are we ready for this? Some of us are like, yes, let's go, I'm ready. Some of us are like, oh no, here we go, what's about to happen? Some of us are like, this is really weird, what's gonna happen? Healing and miraculous powers, healing and miraculous powers, <clears throat> verses nine through 10. To another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers. The Holy Spirit animates some people very consistently with the gifts of healing and apparently miraculous power. But this is very nuanced. I, in my personal journey with this particular gift, have observed that the gift actually operates much more randomly than you would expect. At least this is just my personal experience, and I, I don't come from a super thick, charismatic background. There are what we would consider, here's the nuance, there are what we would consider normal gifts of healing and the not-so-normal miraculous powers. 
So a mama can operate as a great healer. She comes to her little boy who has a, who has a headache and says, here's two Tylenol for you. She's operating as a healer. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom in those spaces. Doctors, therapists, they operate in the natural realm of healing all the time. And I'm convinced that in many of those instances, the Spirit is present, operating there. It is a good and godly thing that brings people to the submission of Jesus when Tylenol works, (laughs) when surgery works, when the chemo works. There is also the Spirit-empowered miraculous healing, which may or may not happen when we pray. It's always a complicated mixture. For example, here at our own church. Last year, one of our members was pretty certain his father was going to die from cancer. You can talk with Micah anytime about this. He shared this testimony last year. This was just another one of those moments for me where I was like, okay, whoa, this is like super real stuff. Months and months of unique experimental treatment to bring this man to a place of freedom from this particular cancer, and it was not looking good. Uh, it was looking like he was actually going to die. Micah didn't think he was going to live through Christmas. And then there, the medical interventions had failed. And so this church was praying. Many people were praying. And <clears throat> Micah, Micah one night at community group is like, he just nonchalantly is just like, hey, guys, I need to tell you guys something, but my dad's cancer is gone. <laughs> I mean, it was, if you guys know Micah, he's so laid back, just like so monotone, just so... and. This was legitimately one of those times where the doctors had done everything that they could medically, but it was the prayers of the church that had finished the work through a miraculous healing. And it was one of those bona fide situations where the doctors were like, we do not, we cannot explain this. This is where you were a month ago. This is where you are now. This is a bona fide miracle. And if you guys know Micah and you know somebody like me, it's not exaggerated. It's literally like, this happened. And uh, I think for the skeptics in the room, I would invite you to just consider that. Just consider it as best you can because it has rebuked my soul often thinking about those things. Now, that could come back. This is what we we leave ourselves open to how the spirit moves. Cancer could always come back. In fact, at some point, something will take us out. But healing in that moment brought people to say, Jesus submitted to as Lord. Okay, final gifts. Prophecy, discernment, and tongues. Verses 7 through 11, we're almost done. To another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another interpretations of tongues. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm literally going to punt on this one until next week. I'm not going to teach on this right now because we're going to commit an entire session next week to the gift of tongues and prophecy. That's just, it's just the way to, this requires an entire session. It actually requires a couple sessions, but we're going to compress it into one session. And next week, we're actually going to, for those of you that are wondering, next week, we're going to try to answer the question, hey, do these miraculous gifts exist for today? There are huge branches of the Christian family tree who would say that the miraculous gifts like healing, tongues, prophecy, they ceased in the apostolic age with the first century. And there's, uh, there's some argument for that. Um, and then there are huge swaths of the family tree that say, no, those gifts continued on. We want to address that. We want to talk about why we land where we land as a continuationist church, not a cessationist church, and also talk about how do we maintain unity. If you're here as a cessationist, wonderful. We are brothers and sisters. If you're here as a continuationist, you believe those gifts do happen today. Wonderful. We are brothers and sisters. How do we exist? We want to ask, how does tongues work? What in the world is tongues? According to the New Testament, 
We want to ask, what is prophecy in the New Testament? Those types of questions next week. So all those uh, things that you're wondering about, we'll try to get some sort of something to you next week on that. So as we close this morning, let's close here with this, and then we'll do a little Q&R, and then we're just going to worship. Um, Remembering that these gifts aren't exhaustive, that this morning God wants to move in you and through you. God has given you something to do in the world. God has given you something to do in this church. If this church is your home, God has given you something to do here. And God also intends to move through you in ways that you might not expect, in ways that might surprise you. And so how do we keep ourselves open to this? Step number one, pray for gifts and animating power. It's that simple. Ask. Ask in your morning devotions, Holy Spirit, will you empower me today? Holy Spirit, will you guide me today? Holy Spirit, will you teach me today? Holy Spirit, will you animate me? We have not because we ask not. And so we ask God to gift us, to manifest his power in us. And Jesus said he won't give us a stone. Then having asked, number two, pay attention to desires, inclinations, and premonitions. It's that simple. Ask and then discern. Where do I feel stirred in my heart? When you start thinking about gifts, when you start thinking about what you want to do in the world, those may be places that God the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to work through you in that way. I want to empower that. Ask yourself, what do I enjoy? What are my desires? What am I good at already? What inclinations am I having? As you read through lists of gifts or as you think about serving in the world, what things do you feel stirred towards? Because that is where God the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to move you in that direction. And then my final thing on this point is, let the natural become supernatural and expect the supernatural to be natural. We're going to talk a lot more about that, but let the natural become supernatural. Do you guys realize how, what a miracle it is that when you get a cut on your finger because you brushed your finger up against a knife doing dishes, what a miracle it is that that thing heals? The human body is a miracle. It's supernatural that that skin replaces itself. This is mind-blowing to me. And so let the natural things give glory to God. I submit to you, Jesus, as Lord, because my finger healed from that cut. Whoa. And then let the supernatural become natural. Those moments where you're like, I have this sense of this or that, or I have this desire to sing in this way, or I feel this boldness in this moment. That's a very natural thing. There is nothing weird about the Holy Spirit moving in you or in a community. It's weird if the Holy Spirit is not moving in you and not moving in a community. That's what's weird. That's what's off. That would be strange in the eyes of the New Testament teachers. Number three, partner with God. So we pray then we perceive, and then we just go out and we partner with God. Pneumaticos, these gifts, it's not like you go into a trance. We are not losing our personalities. In fact, when the Holy Spirit is working through you, you are more yourself than apart from the Holy Spirit. When you are operating in pneumaticos, in the animation of the Holy Spirit, he's making you more fully you. You don't just suddenly, like, as much as I've prayed for the gift of administration, when I open up an Excel spreadsheet, I'm just hoping that I'm saying, like, this totally makes sense to me, and I love this, and I can't even stop doing this, when instead I'm just like, please make this thing go away. He doesn't take over. We partner with him. We partner with him. So we have our part, and each of us needs to understand that we can grieve and quench the Spirit with our sophisticated cynicism, with our figuring out the universe according to our plan, that can grieve the Spirit and quench the Spirit. 
and we can grieve and quench the spirit with our sin, not even allowing ourselves to be open to who God is and what he may or may not want to do in a moment or in a place. And then number four, practice. To stay open to the spirit, just start practicing. Step out in faith. We're doing that more here on Sunday mornings where we're literally just taking time to pray for each other. We're going to do that more as this series progresses towards the fall. We're going to keep doing that through the book of Ecclesiastes in 2023. But just taking risks in the middle of community group, praying for people at, this is a big one, at work, in your classrooms. Be sensitive to those premonitions, those inclinations, those desires. And then just prayerfully, humbly step into them in faith. The Holy Spirit is not asking us to be weird. Remember that. The Holy Spirit's not asking us, it's not like the Holy Spirit is going to, you know, have you stand up on your desk in the middle of your office space and start prophesying in tongues. That's not the Spirit. That's not going to have anybody submit to Jesus. In fact, that's what Paul says. Paul says, nobody's going to submit to Jesus if you do that. That's probably not the Spirit. But he probably would have you ask how your coworker's doing intentionally with the door to be open of, hey, I've got this sense about you, and I just want you to know as a Christian, I'm praying for you. The Spirit wants to use those things. Practice and then be with others. Be with others. The gifts are for the common good. That's verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. The gifts, the gifts are for the common good. Your presence matters to each other. I think the great tragedy or the great lie of the modern age is that for each of us to find ourselves, we're supposed to look inside to find our truest selves. When Christianity teaches that we look outward to each other to serve each other to find our truest selves. And so your gifts will come in the midst of being in community intentionally with people. You will recognize your gifts and the community around you will begin to say, this person is so encouraging. That's a gift. This person, whenever they talk, I just find myself settling it. That's a gift. This person is able, the community begins to see and realize those baseline gifts, but then the community is also practicing these gifts beyond the the natural.